A Weekend with Jason Dacey Replay from Money FM 89.3. This is our international news week in review here on Money FM 89.3 with me, Jason Dacey. And for that, we have Shamini Flint, the Malaysian author based here in Singapore, in the house. And Shamini, you were watching with interest as a uh, Malaysian politician Anwar Ibrahim stormed to victory in the Port Dixon by-election over the weekend. And he'll be sworn in as an MP on Monday, bringing him a step closer to becoming Malaysia's next prime minister. Excited? I'm very excited. I'm so happy to see him back in parliament, which is where he belongs. Um, I think if he's going to be the next prime minister, he needs to be in parliament in order to prepare himself. The poor man spent over a decade in jail. He needs to you know, get with the 21st century, yeah, yeah. Uh, get a sense of how society has changed, culture has changed in Malaysia and make sure that he's ready to step up and step in because as much as we're all filled with admiration over what Mahathir is doing and how he has changed his entire sort of ethos as a politician, um, the fact of the matter is he's, a, he's an old man and I'd rather Anwar was good and ready so that we don't have any um, slip-ups in the new Malaysia. Yeah, Anwar is now 71, former Deputy Prime Minister, used to be an enemy, of course, of uh, Prime Minister Mahathir Mohamad. It's been about five months since the elections back in May. The uh, by-election in Port Dixon, did it go as you expected? Well, turnout wasn't huge. I think it was about 58%, but that's not unexpected. I mean, I think he was broadly expected to win. There was some questioning about why there had to be a by-election to get him into parliament, why he couldn't wait, um, which struck me as being absolutely ridiculous. He can't wait, you know. I mean, he's waited a long time and he has to be ready. He has to be in parliament. He has to be ready to serve. He has to have all his vast experience of being both in government and in opposition and in jail um, used for the benefit of the nation. But what was interesting is that he won every racial group. He won a significant amount of the military vote that didn't used to go to the, well, former opposition. Mm, mm, mm. So I think the Pakatan Harapan government is making some strides at presenting themselves as a normal, viable government as opposed to a sort of lucky opposition. People were so fed up of Najib, they got in. You know, it's it's starting starting to have a little bit of um, gravitas as an ordinary, ordinary ruling um, coalition. Mm, mm. What about the dynamics between Anwar and Mahathir because of their past history? Do you feel that they've been saying all the right things? Are you getting a feeling that things are moving smoothly between the two? Absolutely. I mean, I think people like to create a little bit of drama and it's a problem with politics being about the personal rather than about the principle because, I mean, whatever their personal feelings, they've managed to set it aside to the extent of leading what is tantamount to a revolution in Malaysia. So the fact that occasionally they may not see eye to eye so what? I mean, I don't mm. see eye to eye with you, Jason, yeah. sometimes. And it really, really, really doesn't matter because we can agree on the bigger, more important issues. Mm. And I mean, Anwar is not going straight into government as far as I'm mm. aware. He plans to work in parliament to reform parliament. There's so many things that need to be done after, mm. you know, 30 years of mismanagement. You've got to reconcile state and federal laws. There's so many constitutional issues, especially in relation to Malaysia's federal system and yep. Islamic issues. Um, set out free and fair election rules so many unjust rules that uh, laws that need to be repealed, whether it's the Sedition Act or the fake news law. Um, I mean, he's spent a decade in jail. He's got a lot to catch up with. And the Sedition Act was something that we saw last week uh, in the news and also the uh, the death penalty as well. What's the latest on those two? I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, the new Malaysia, we're all so excited. We're all expecting so much. And every now and then it doesn't quite deliver on our sort of perfect vision. Mm. But when you think about the few months since 
the opposition has been in power. They've suspended the Sedition Act. They've suspended the death penalty. They've suspended expansion of palm oil plantations, which is a huge step, environmentally speaking. They've pulled out of the Yemen war. Mm. They're not part of that coalition that is starving mm. children mm. Uh, along yeah, with the US yeah, yeah. and Saudi Arabia anymore. Mm. I mean, you know, you put good people in jobs, eventually you get good outcomes. You may not get good outcomes immediately because it's not easy. There's pushback, there's disagreement, but you do get people working towards the greater good. That's what I feel we have now. You know, they've just allowed, um, um, what do they call it, Uh, children, non-citizen children, you know, uh, stateless children uh, to attend primary schools for the first time in Malaysia. So we're suddenly going to... That's a big breakthrough, isn't it? That's a huge breakthrough because Mm. it was a cruel and unnecessary exclusion before this. But there was no way of changing it except by changing government. So in small things and in big things, I feel we're progressing as a nation. All right. Looking ahead this week also, apart from Anwar being sworn in as MP on Monday, we're looking ahead in the stock market because last week it was a really rocky week. It was the worst week that they've had in six months, despite the Dow soaring 287 points or 1.2% on Friday. It lost 1,378 points over Wednesday and Thursday. Very turbulent times Shamini, but uh, U.S. President Donald Trump is blaming the Fed on all this uh, kind of instability because of the concern about, uh, I guess, interest rates and and other things that the Fed is doing. But he never gives the Fed credit when the economy is doing well. Donald Trump doesn't give anyone credit except himself, and he doesn't offer blame to anyone other, um, you know, excluding himself. Because, you know, he started a tariff war. He's ignoring climate change. He's just... He's removing regulations, which is why the stock market is... First of all, the stock market is not a great measure of how the global population is doing, the US population is doing, because not everybody owns stocks. Very few people Mm -hmm. own Mm -hmm. stocks. But the reason stock markets go up is because they're cutting regulations. And everybody's like, ooh, regulations are bad, and therefore Mm -hmm. they've cut it, and it's fantastic. Regulations are what gives us weekends off. Regulations are what prevents children from being sent into factories to work. Regulations is why we have sick leave. Mm. You know, so this idea that regulations are bad is nonsense. Regulations are what a society uh, develops in order to curtail unjust, unfair treatment of people without power. So the idea that, you know, the stock market is either a good measure of how a society is doing, which is nonsense. Whether if it goes up, we're doing well, and when it goes down, we're doing badly, is true, is also nonsense. But when it goes up, the reasons are always counterproductive to society quite often, Mm. Um, and not necessarily just because people are inventing better products. Mm. But yes, Donald Trump is a a danger to the world, Mm. a a clear, present, immediate danger to the future, not just of the US, but of... um, society more generally. Speaking to Shamini Flint, the author, our International News Week in Review. Kind of surreal, wasn't it, when we saw uh, Kanye West in the White House last Thursday, a freewheeling 10-minute rant <laughs> in front of the reporters at the Oval Office. And there aren't that many celebrities that have supported uh, Donald Trump. A lot of the, I guess, liberal Hollywood elite uh, against him and have come out very vocally against him. So I guess to have anyone any celebrity wants to sit and, you know, hang out with him in the White House, he'll accept him with open arms. You know, this whole Kanye West thing is a distraction. I mean, obviously, if you're president of the United States, you can find somebody to say something nice about you. It's amazing how much he's had to scrape the barrel to find someone <laughs> yeah. to say something nice about him. I mean, the man was a ranting um, lunatic. I felt a bit sorry for him. Kanye West has obviously got issues and they're mm. exploiting him. Mm. But it's all entirely irrelevant because what's relevant is tariff war. What's relevant is 
uh, pulling out of the Paris Accord. What's relevant is the war on the media that's now led to Jamal Khashoggi being yes, apparently yes. killed by the Saudi yeah, Arabians. It's yeah. the fact and that Turkey think they have um, evidence of that. Yes, which I think they're pretending they got from his um, eye watch because obviously mm. it's embarrassing for them to confess mm. that they've been bugging foreign <laughs> embassies. <laughs> right, um, right. I mean, who knows where they got it? But the point is that most authoritarian governments feel that they're not going to get pushback from the US, whether it's Putin interfering with the um, American elections mm. or Ukraine whether it's um, China expanding mm. in, in, in um, the South China, China Sea, sea yeah. whether it's um, Saudi Arabia. I mean, their, their blockade of Qatar was nonsense. Yeah, but their, there's so much money involved, isn't there, with the U.S. and Saudis? And that's, that's the tricky thing for U.S. President Donald Trump because he was, was one of the first, first places he went, right? There's nothing tricky about standing on principle. There's nothing tricky about not condoning murder in exchange for money. I mean, I really don't see no. why he has uh, any difficulty coming up with a, with, a, with a position that's not excruciatingly unethical in every way, mm. shape or form. And, you know, to pretend, you know, he just said he's going to ask uh, serious questions. Uh, of, yes. Yeah. I mean, we saw how he asked Putin serious questions. Did you <laughs> hack the election? Uh, no. I've asked him so many times and he keeps saying no. What more do you want me to do? I yeah, mean, the, yeah. the man is, a, is, a, is... I mean, he would be a comedian if he wasn't mm. so destructive. Mm, okay. So let's move on to something you're very passionate about, the IPCC report, the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change last week. Uh, some alarming findings there. Well, you, you mentioned about the US pulling out of the Paris Accord, but Shamini, just, what, a dozen years and things could get really serious, even worse than they are now. Well, what the IPCC report suggests is that to limit climate change to 1.5 degree um, temperature rise overall, we have to take action, dramatic action in the next 12 years. Otherwise, mm. we're going to hit two degrees. And the difference between 1.5 and two degrees is enormous. And they finally, I mean, you know, the IPCC works on consensus. So unless the whole lot of them agree that something bad's going to happen, they don't say it. So for them to come out with a report that is as devastating, um, suggests that the real situation is probably even, even worse. Mm. I mean, because what they're saying is, obviously, we know sea levels are going to rise. We know storms are going to get worse. I mean, we've just seen the hurricane season in the U.S. Yeah. You know, Hurricane Michael, that one that just hit Florida, it went from a Category 1 storm to a Category 4 storm in two days. Yeah, it was shocking. No one was really building it up much. Then suddenly, we just saw the might of it as it hit Florida. Because warming oceans means that the um, acceleration of risk is so great and so quick, the ability to prepare for these things are going to go down. Mm. Um, plus, of course, agriculture is going to be significantly impacted, not just by droughts and stuff, but by the um, insect population mm. falling. So if we mm. can't pollinate, mm. we've got nothing. Mm. Um, and we do all this. I mean, the world is in this state where our own children, forget our own children, we, mm. you and yeah, I, yeah, are going to be, be alive, yeah, we're going to be years, alive and dealing with... Um, you know, weather events and danger and climate refugees. We mm. might be climate refugees ourselves. There's going to be no fresh water. Mm. It's apocalyptic. Yes. And yet we act as if nothing's happening. I'm almost glad it's going to affect us mm, and our children. I know it's, it sounds a bit wicked, but this thing where we were laying this on future generations was unacceptable. Mm. And now we're going to pay the price for our own foolishness mm. ourselves. And I suppose there's a certain fairness about it. And it does uh, seem connected, doesn't it, Shimini, to this wave of nationalism where you only worry about yourself and your own country rather than looking at yourself as part of a, a global plan. You know, it, it's, it seems all connected to me. 
when people have figured out a way to define boundaries in such a way that they get to protect their clean air with some very very tall mm. walls, yeah. maybe like you know Trump is thinking of building, Mexico, then they yeah. can yeah then you can talk about. Um, climate breakdown in the context of individual countries. But the reality is the seas in the air are contiguous and we are all going to suffer for each other's sins. You throw a plastic bag in here, into the sea here, it might wash up somewhere far away. Well, speaking about washing up far away, what about that football from the, the team, the British church team in Norfolk going across the North Sea 400 kilometres away to be found on a small island off the coast of Germany? That was an incredible story that we just had in the news earlier. It was cute. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, I think it actually makes the point very clearly that once in a blue moon, it might be a football. (laughs) The rest of the time, it's acres and acres of garbage floating around the ocean. So if your football can reach there, think what else. Yes, yes, indeed. Shamini Flint, uh, the well-known Malaysian author based here in Singapore, writes the famous uh, Inspector Singh Investigate series. Thank you for all your insights in our Week in Review segment.